This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 591 with Jasmine Bradshaw. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 591. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Jasmine Bradshaw is a researcher, anti-racist educator, and podcaster who truly believes that creating a more loving, inclusive, and just society starts within the sacred walls of our homes. Her podcast, one of my favorites, is called First Name Basis, and she created First Name Basis to give parents and caregivers the tools they need to raise anti-racist families. Each week, she wrestles with hard questions and uses the answers to create the world that we want, a world where every single one of our children can be exactly who they are and reach their full potential. She hopes her community makes parents feel empowered and gives them the confidence that they need to create lasting change in their spheres of influence. So Jasmine's been on the show before, and I asked her to return because I learned that she's created something that I think you all might be interested in. So I learned that she is launching a new online course called Ally Elementary. And as soon as I heard about this, I was like, you have to come talk about this on my show again, right? And she's like, yes, sign me up. So here we are. I know how invested you all are in raising anti-racist children. So I wanted Jasmine to come back and talk about how we talk to our kids about race in an ongoing conversation, because here's what we know. Anti-racism work is work that has no final destination. 
So it's an ongoing process and it's always changing as society and culture changes and also as your children grow up and age and they're able to talk about things in new ways and that conversation is just constantly evolving as they age and as we all learn more. So while this is a heavy topic, Jasmine and I do still manage to get in a few good laughs. We've gotten to know each other pretty well since she was last on the show. So I think you're going to find that this is like a conversation between friends because that's certainly how it felt to me. I also hope that you'll learn a few things in this conversation and be inspired to keep the conversation going by checking out Jasmine's Ally Elementary course. I have gotten to see some of the behind the scenes of this course and holy cow, it's amazing. So listen in to hear Jasmine share why anti-racist parenting is critical for our children. Also, she's going to talk about why anti-racist education is controversial and why not talking about it perpetuates racism. She'll share the exact steps to take when your child inevitably says something racist She's going to share her five B's of upholding anti-racism in your family. She'll talk about how to have curious conversations around race and bias with other people. She's going to talk about why it's the role of white people, not black people, to call out discrimination, bias, and harm when it happens. And then at the end, we dig into the importance of calling out systems of oppression as the problem around race rather than talking about skin color as the problem around race. I love this talking point at the end, and it was a really powerful way to end the conversation and to wrap things up. And it's something that's a little newer on my radar. It's a shift in positioning, and it really kind of reframes the way that we talk about race in the context of skin color, and also the way we teach our children about race in the context of skin color and how we decide how to call things as they are in systems of oppression and placing blame where blame is due versus on skin color where there is no blame. And so I think you're going to learn something from this conversation. I'm so honored to have Jasmine back. I know I learned a few things and I always, always just appreciate the time that Jasmine spends and the care that she takes in race education. She always talks things through in a very thorough and clear way where I always feel confident about taking new action steps because of the way she teaches anti-racism as education. So with all that said, please welcome back to the show, Jasmine Bradshaw. Jasmine, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I just love your show and I'm so honored to be back. I know. And I feel like when you came on before, we weren't friends, not that we weren't friendly, but like, I'm like now Jasmine's my friend. (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) And we've gotten to do some really fun work together since then. So this feels like exciting. Like I'm just having a girlfriend on to have a chat. (laughs) So I'm really excited. Absolutely. So I want to know what's going on in your life, personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Oh my goodness. I just feel like I'm so grateful for modern medicine (laughs) to be vaccinated and to be getting back to what feels comfortable for our family. My little one, Violet, she's four. She just started going to preschool and it's so fun to watch her blossom and learn new things. And I was like, I do not know how much longer this can go on. I cannot, I mean, I used to be a teacher, you know that I taught second grade, but teaching your own children and teaching other people's children are two different things. So I'm like, no, thank you to teaching her how to read. Somebody else needs to do that. So it's just been so fun to see her doing that. And Holly is one, she's about to take steps. I can just feel it in my bones. So I'm just really relishing in like being a normal, like things feeling a little bit more normal in my home and just a rhythm of my life, getting back to something that I feel excited about. 
I love it. As I was saying in our pre-interview, I love watching your Instagram stories because your children are, are so adorable. And in particular, <laughs> sweet little Holly saying hi to the camera is the cutest thing ever. But what's so sweet, I think, is that for me having an almost nine-year-old and watching your children at this very innocent age before they're like, sassy and have an attitude. Maybe they have a little <laughs> bit of that. But like, I'm like, you are in this, I'm, you're in a very hard spot in terms of energy and supervision and yes. how much they need you. But in terms of like cuteness and innocence, oh my gosh, you are so in it with like, you get all those innocent, magical moments still. I know. I was just telling my husband, like, I'm trying to soak it all in while also recognizing that it's okay for me to complain about how tired I am. <laughs> yes. 100% both and both and yes. you get all of it. Absolutely. So when you first came on the show, I invited you on the show because your podcast, when I first was introduced to your podcast, I was introduced to it, I believe through, uh, no, I believe I know through Rachel Nielsen, who has the three and 30 takeaways for moms podcast. Mm-hmm. And she had had you on to talk about how to talk to kids about race. And I was so captivated by that conversation that I invited you to come on my show and have a similar conversation. And in the meantime, you're now four seasons into your own podcast where you talk to families and support families and teachers and educators around how to talk to kids about race and culture. And oh my gosh, the thoughtfulness that you put into your episodes. I'm like every episode, I feel like I want to send, I want to be the annoying parent that sends like every teacher in my kid's school, every episode, because they're so (laughs) good. Uh, And all my mom friends too, but they're just phenomenal. And so in having you come back, I knew I wanted to touch on continuing conversations around how to raise anti-racist children, but also talk about what you're doing now. Cause you've had this evolution now over four seasons of a podcast. So can we, you just talk for a minute about what it's been like to spend now four whole seasons. And I don't, is it over the course of a couple of years now talking to families about and educators about race and children? Yeah. Well, thank you. That is such high praise. I love podcasting. I feel like it was one of those things that just fit so perfectly because I was a teacher before taking high level information and breaking it down into really digestible opportunities for the listeners is so rewarding to me. And when I first started my podcast, let me tell you, nobody wanted to talk about race. (laughs) I was like, parents talk to your kids about race. And people were like, are you for real? Like, no, thank you. (laughs) But as we've seen, I mean, our country, especially in the world at large has had this awakening into understanding that how important these conversations are and that we really need to be proactive. And so I feel like I was really positioned perfectly to be that place for people who are at the beginning of their journey and talking to their kids about race or even the beginning of their own anti-racist journey. And that's what I'm helping parents understand is that when we're trying to talk to our children, we can't teach them anything that we don't fully know. So we have to work on ourselves first and build that foundation. And then we can pass those values along to our kiddos, whether you're a parent or a teacher or someone who just loves children and has nieces and nephews, we are always going to be in the situation where we're listening to children play and interact with each other, or they'll say something specifically to us. And we have an opportunity to support them in their learning and either extend that or even give corrections sometimes when they say things that are not quite right. Absolutely. Why is anti-racist parenting so critical for our children? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. And I wish everyone we would could, ask this could be me the this whole question. Hour. We could just <laughs> yes. talk about this for the whole hour. <laughs> 
But we all have seen that racism is baked into the systems in our society. And the unfortunate truth is that we, even though we didn't create the systems, we have a responsibility to dismantle them and make them more just. And when we're talking to kids, I like to use the word fairness because children really understand what fairness means and what it looks like in their life. I mean, kids understand like he got two and I got one. That's not fair. And so when we are thinking about anti-racist parenting, I really like to encourage people to look around in their community or even in their home and think, what are the, what do I see that's going on? That's unfair. And how do we work together to make it more fair? I mean, it's not, quite that simple, but that is definitely the very first step. And it's being curious about, okay, like for example, the other day we went to this, it was like a botanical garden arboretum type of thing. And we were in the bathroom and I noticed in the bathroom that it didn't have an accessible stall. And I just thought, well, if someone had a wheelchair here, how would they go to the bathroom. And so it's me noticing as an adult, that type of thing. And then I turned to Violet, my four-year-old, and I said, Hey, did you notice that there isn't a stall with a big door? Cause she always, you know, notices that the the door is bigger. And I've explained Mm -hmm. to her the door is bigger. So the wheelchairs can fit through. And she was like, yeah, where's that? And I explained, they don't have one here in this bathroom. And she was like, Oh, that she said, that's not nice because then if someone uses a wheelchair, they won't be able to go in. And I said, yeah, that means someone who uses a wheelchair wouldn't ever be able to experience the beauty of this garden and these flowers because they, you don't want to go somewhere where you can't use the restroom. And so we, it's just having those everyday conversations and being noticing those things as a parent, being curious to see what's going on around me and what's our positionality here. So we talked about what should we do? Should we write a letter to the director of the botanical gardens or should we contact our local newspaper and say, Hey, wait a minute, this is something that needs to be fixed. So it really is on us to help our children see through this lens of anti-racism and understanding how do we fit into the bigger picture of these systems and how do we make sure that we are living our values. Absolutely. I love that example and that reminder to notice and not just notice as adults, but like notice and point it out to our children because it's amazing the things that they notice and the responses that they'll have. I love that. She's like, that's not kind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So awesome. Okay. So why do some people think that teaching our children to be anti-racist is controversial? And this is a huge topic right now, as we have so many districts across the United States and different states having different viewpoints on critical race theory. And there's so much here. Yes. Oh, there really is. And I have a whole episode about critical race theory. Yes, which is outstanding, by the way. I've listened (laughs) to it. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. It's called critical race theory in schools. It's in season three and I'll make sure to send Sarah the link so that she can put it in the show notes, but for sure. This is such a heavy thing for parents. And I think that they really just get so anxious that instead of seeing it as an opportunity to teach and to align with who we are as a nation and who we're trying to become, they see it as being, you know, anti-American. I've heard that so many times. Mm -hmm. And in reality, when you look at our values as a country, I mean, we've literally never lived up to them. But if you look at what we have said our values are, that all people are created equal, that we want to have liberty and justice for all, those are not the things that are playing out before our eyes. I mean, you turn on the news and you can see that happening, right? So how can we as parents, teachers, educators, all of those people who are supporting the next generation, how can we instill these values 
in them and help them to hold the people around them accountable, hold our country to task for what we've said we want to do. Well, that means we have to be anti-racist. And I think that a lot of people will say, well, my child doesn't see color or I'm afraid that bringing up race with them will actually make them racist. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about that is that it's not that it makes them racist. It's just that you might start to hear things that they're saying that hold bias or are prejudice, but you didn't notice before, or maybe they didn't feel comfortable saying it before. I always tell people their questions don't stop coming. They just stop asking them. So if your child doesn't feel comfortable asking you about race or talking to you about the things that they're seeing in their community, they're going to start to come to their own conclusions. And as parents, we teach our children everything from how to pour milk on their cereal to how to tie their shoes. And if they're not doing it correctly to how to hold their pencil, right? If they're not doing it correctly, we will tell them, oh, do this, sweetie, change this, sweetie. So they get this idea in their mind if their parents aren't correcting them around issues of race, racism, prejudice, bias. They start to think, oh, this means I have it right because my mom or the person who loves me will help me get things right any other time. And if they're not responding to these specific things that I'm saying, that means I I already understand or I already have things right. So when we talk to our kids about race and then we start to hear them say things that might be prejudiced. I've heard a mom be like, oh my gosh, I'm just making things worse. When in reality, it's not that you're making things worse. Children will often start to say those prejudiced things a little bit more after you've opened the door because they're checking to see. We talked about this. Do I have it right? Is this what we think? Is this how we move throughout the world? And that's your opportunity. Instead of feeling like, oh no, I ruined it. It's really your opportunity to teach and course correct. Absolutely. Yes. And to your point, children are going to say things. We all know this. I mean, we have a neighbor with some physical disabilities and Vinny, as we've walked by his yard and he's out there within earshot, Vinny has made comments about things that are different about how his body looks and Mm -hmm. performs and all sorts of things. And our initial inclination when he was like four years old was like, let's just not walk down that side of the street because I don't want him to say something embarrassing. And then I was like, well, that's mm-hmm. horrible. Like that's clearly like not the right path. I don't want to be exclusive of people that look different because I don't know how to talk to my kid about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we started having conversations about, well, this is what happened. He was in this accident and here's what happened and how great he has these accommodations that allow him to still walk, even though he's a double amputee and all sorts of different things. And so now he's able, now it's just this very objective thing. But if I like shut it all down and I, you give this example in the episode, you talk about, um, you say what problem has ever been solved by not talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, if I had just, we'd never talked about it, he would have been like, oh, so I guess when people look different, we just walk on the other side of the street. (laughs) Like we don't talk about it, you know? Um, So when people say, or when our children say things and inevitably it's always when they're within earshot of the people, we don't want to hear it. And we have that like gut sucking moment where we're like, oh my gosh, they just said this really awful thing and someone else heard it. And I feel like a horrible parent and I'm embarrassed and I'm horrified. What can we do and how can we, start to have open up conversation from there. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, 
is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Oh my gosh. I love the example that you shared. And I, we've all been in that situation, right? Where your child says something and you're like, please, please. I just want to hide under a rock and never come out. Yes. Yes. So when that happens, especially when we're talking about race, the first thing that we need to do as parents is remain calm. And I like to think of it like when you're on a plane and something kind of shady happens and you look at the flight attendant to see if they're freaking out, that is what our kiddo is doing for us. They're looking at us to see, is it time to freak out now after they've said something? And you just need to take a minute, take a deep breath, take a step back and stay calm so that you can go into it with a clear mind. And from there, I really want parents to be curious when your child is saying something, whether it be about race or gender, sexuality, anything, you need to understand where this pre-prejudice or prejudice is coming from before you can figure out how to handle the situation. So you can ask them very, um, I want to say kind of like take the emotion out of your tone and just ask, oh, why did you say that to your friend? Or why did you make that comment? And a lot of times it'll be connected to something else. Like, well, I was on the playground and I wanted to go down the slide, but she was blocking the slide. And so I couldn't go down. And so I just told her that I don't like her brown skin. And you can see how our children are picking up on the world around them and seeing that, okay, when someone with brown skin has something that I want, that is the thing that I should target about them. Mm right? You can make this connection. So from there, we want to be really clear with our kiddos and help them understand, okay, what you said is actually really hurtful and then give examples of why it can hurt someone and why it's different. And in the episode that I recently shared about, oh no, my child said something racist. I was talking about this example that I heard from a friend where she said, 
I was at the park and my daughter said, I don't like your brown skin to one of the girls. And she was like, I responded by saying, well, it's okay if she says that because she would say the same thing like, oh, I don't like your earrings or I don't like your shoes. And I was like, well, first of all, that's rude. <laughs> like, right, Why is right. that okay for your child to say? But also like, this is a whole nother level. Like this is not just rude, it's racist. And our kids need to understand that comments about skin color that are negative and hurtful don't just hurt that person that they play into this bigger system of unfairness that hurts black and brown people all throughout their lives. And so I know that's a lot to have with a four-year-old, a big conversation to have, but breaking it down into them understanding okay, why does this person have darker skin than me? Or why does this person have lighter skin? It's because of the amount of melanin. And I know you and I have talked about this. The melanin in your skin gives it its color. So either you have a lot and your skin is dark brown or you have a little bit and your skin is lighter. And then helping them see that people who in the past, people who hold a lot of melanin have been subjected to unfairness by our communities and that's not right. And we don't want to be part of that. And so we do not make comments like that. And when we hear comments like that, we need to speak up and speak out against it. So being really clear with your child about this is why what you said is wrong. And this is what we're going to do instead. I love that. And I think that taking our ego out of it is a huge part of it because it is that embarrassment where we're like, I'm just going to run away, pretend it never happened, deal with it later. <laughs> um, and when you take your ego out and you can really like go to that place of calm and be objective and present your child with like facts about melanin, which is so different than this panic about like, oh my gosh, that hurts someone's feelings and stop, stop, stop. And yeah. um, it's just a really, really different outcome. And it also helps us, it helps our kids. It doesn't just band-aid that moment. It gives our kids a foundation for how to be around people who look different, act different, et cetera, for their entire lives. And so, which is mm -hmm. much more impactful and important than trying to band-aid an, an embarrassing moment for us as a parent. Exactly. And you know that your child is probably going to hear their friends saying these things and you want them to have the tools to be in solidarity with communities of color when that happens, right? Like you're not always going to be around. And so if you can catch it when they're saying it, they might be able to have that ripple effect and share it with a friend when something negative happens, you know, when you're not around. Absolutely. In your episode, so you mentioned your episode, Oh No, My Child Said Something Racist. You talked about the is it the five B's? Yes. Do, would you mind running through those five B's? I want everyone to go listen to that episode as well. So we'll link it in the show notes, but would you mind giving a quick overview of those five B's? Yes. So I mentioned them a you little bit when couple, I was, yeah. yes, explaining the example, but let me go through them point by point. So the five B's, the very first one is be proactive. And this one, people are like, well, my child already said something racist, so I don't know how to do that. But I want you to be thinking about how can you be creating an environment, whether it's in your home or in your classroom, in your church community, where you can display positive images of people who are not of the dominant culture. So the dominant culture are people who are white, cisgender, Christian, male, and these are the people who hold the power in our society. So anyone who doesn't fit into that category, what are you doing to create a space where you're talking about people who aren't of the dominant culture? We're talking about people who are LGBT, people who are people of color, people who are disabled, and helping your children understand that these are people that we love, respect 
respect, admire, revere in our home, in our community. They're people who are of value because when those people are absent from our lives, our children start to think, okay, I see everybody around me. They look like me. They act like me. They talk like me. These are the people who matter. And anybody else who falls outside of that category, they don't matter quite as much. And even though we don't think that we're sending that message to our children, that's what they're picking up. Studies have shown that that's what kiddos are getting from this lack of exposure and lack of representation. So we're going to be proactive and we don't need to wait until something racist happens in our lives or on the news in order to talk to our kids about race. Like we got to start, we got to start right Right. now. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. But then the rest, the other four B's are about what to do when it happens. So I mentioned the second one is be calm, take a deep breath, understand this is not a reflection of you or your parenting. This is actually a teachable moment. So reframing it in your mind as an opportunity to teach. The third B is be curious. That's when you're asking questions. Okay. Why did you say this? Where did this come from? So that you can understand what is the root cause of the problem. The fourth B is be clear. And this is when you are giving your child the opportunity to repair the harm that was done. So our children are looking to us for guidance when that kind of stuff happens. I mean, just the other day we were at my mom's house and Violet was holding something that she shouldn't have been holding. And when I asked her like, you know, why did you do that? She was so upset. And she looked to me like, how do I fix this? Right. So we can give our children examples and ask them of what they think about how they should be fixing it and why what they did was didn't align with our family values. And the very last B, the fifth B is be reflective. And this is the one where you take away from the conversation, what you need to do differently as a parent or how you can start to be more proactive in your life about talking to your kids about race. And when I think about be reflective, I really mean like talking to another adult in your life, tell them what happened, tell them how you handled it and ask them for their advice. What would they do differently? Or what would they add to what you said And then really seeing, okay, did this comment of what they said come out of something that is happening in my home or in my community? So the woman that I talked about before where her child said, I don't like your brown skin. I have had another conversation with her, totally separate, where she told me that her husband was interviewing for a job. And he really wanted this job. He was so excited about it. And he saw when he went in for the interview that there were a lot of other people there who were brown. I think they were Latino men. And she said, oh, the reason why he didn't get this job was because they were affirmative action hires. It's because they just want the representation. They just want the brown people to have it. And he was more qualified. And I remember saying to her, was your husband privy to their resumes? Was your husband in their interviews? How do you know that they were not as qualified as him? Like what makes you the person who gets to say whether or not someone is qualified for a job and helping her see that what she was saying was extremely racist, but I should note, like, we don't really talk anymore. <laughs> She's not super happy with me. So you're not referring to like your best friend that you yeah, have dinner no, with. <laughs> definitely not. But I feel like I can totally see the connection between her having these conversations and her husband. I mean, I'm sure I'm like the 15th person that she told mm-hmm. about the situation with the job, her child listening to her saying, these brown people took something away from my dad that he really wanted. And then she goes to the park and this brown girl took something away from me that I really wanted. And so instead of 
asking for it back or having a productive conversation about what to do, she attacked her skin color because that's what she saw her parents doing. Right. So Mm -hmm. being reflective, it might feel, it might feel kind of gross because you might recognize in your own community, in your own heart that you have stuff that you need to work through. But I feel like, oh my gosh, better out than in, like, let's get through it so that we can teach our kids what our values really are and help them to be anti-racist members of the community. Yeah. Yeah. There's an example, and I think it falls under your be curious, your number three, I think it was, <laughs> your five Ps. But yes. I was in a conversation with someone a while ago, and they were talking about school scholarship funding and how there was a shift in scholarship funding for some, I think it was for uh, either high school or college opportunities. And they were shifting to create more scholarship like from a kind of a general pool of scholarship money into, they were shifting some money into a specific fund for funding indigenous students. And the person I was talking to said, well, this doesn't make any sense to me because when they've been offered scholarships in the past, they never take them. And then that money just sits there. And I was so like taken aback by the comment. And so she's like, so that's like, this should just go into general fund. Like my kid is having less of a chance of a, at a scholarship now because this money has been, re allotted. And so I said, well, do they know why that money's not being mm-hmm. accepted? And her, the comment the, was like, well, because these people just don't really care about getting more education or they don't care about a higher, you know? And I was like, no, 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 oh. that's not how. So my, I was trying to like, just be curious. So I was like, oh, well, have you thought about most of the time, not most of the time, but a lot of the times, maybe most of the time in indigenous families, you have multi-generational families living under one roof and it's whoever is young and can work is supporting that household. So if a kid is 18 and they can go get a job, that sometimes is how the family survives. And so the kid doesn't mm-hmm. have the chance to go to college. And she was kind of like listening skept- very with a lot of skepticism. <laughs> and then I, this is where I like had to take it to the next level. And I was like, and by the way, I'm not concerned. We're both raising white boys. I was like, I'm not concerned about my white son <laughs> having opportunities in life. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my God. The conversation got really awkward. I was like, my kid's going to have plenty of opportunities. I think like, I don't think that he needs more access to scholarship funding. Mm, <laughs> yeah. The conversation was kind of over after that. But I think that that piece of curiosity, not just looking at like, not ignoring something or making assumptions about something, but looking at why is it that it's this way? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, creates so much. It creates a, a place for us to be expansive about educating ourselves and also about compassion and also about learning how different cultures operate and what, how race operates in different ways and bias operates in different ways. And so just another example. <laughs> Oh, I love that example. And I love how you started it with, have you ever thought about, because you're not like attacking or saying, da, 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 this is the way it is. You're saying, have you considered this other school of thought? And a lot of people just run in the cir- these same circles so where they hear the same thing repeated over and over again. And they're repeating something that they've heard and they really haven't right. sat down to critically think about what they're saying. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that it was like an ill-intentioned you know, I don't think any of the comments were ill-intentioned. I absolutely think it was repeating things when you're in certain social circles or in certain school circles or whatever. And you're just kind of repeating what you hear other moms saying on the playground or a pickup or what have you. And then you're just randomly repeating it because it seems to be the common narrative around you without thinking through like, 
well, why is everyone saying that? Why is it that mm-hmm. way? And I think that we're all guilty of that in different ways because group think is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. so really, yes. Like really checking ourselves in a lot of those instances can be really helpful. That said, when we do find ourselves in that place of group think that is not beneficial and is potentially harmful, I think it's important that we also talk about if our children are saying things that are racist or biased or we find ourselves in these situations of like, oh, holy cow, like I really was looking at this the wrong way. Does it mean we're doing it wrong? Does it mean that we're bad people? Oh my gosh. No, (laughs) no, 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 not at all. I think one of the most insidious things about racism is that people are under this impression that if you do or say something racist, that means you are a wholly bad person. Forever and and ever and ever. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it really is heartbreaking to see because I try to help people understand. I mean, you would never call your child a liar for the rest of their life because they told a lie. But if they did do something that was dishonest, you're going to help them understand and you're going to hold them accountable and help them fix what they've done, right? So when someone helps you understand that something that you did or said or something that your child did was racist, it's actually a gift that they're giving you. And I know it might feel like, are you for real? Like, don't even try to make this into something (laughs) positive. But let me tell you, when there is someone that I know isn't going to respond well to me letting them know that something they did or said was racist, I just don't say anything. And that's because I'm a black biracial woman. I get to choose whether or not I speak in those situations. If you're white, you have a responsibility to do something when something racist happens. But if I have a friend and they do something that's racist and I know they're not going to respond well, that First of all, they're probably not really my friend. They're probably just an acquaintance. And second of all, it's really like, nope, this is not something that I'm willing to go into with you because I don't trust you enough to know that you're going to do what's right to help protect me and my family. So when I have somebody that I really love and really trust, that means I'm sharing with them, okay, this happened. And I know that you, a lot of the times I help people see like, I know that this wasn't your intention, but your impact was racist. And that means that you need to do something differently. You just said something that I think is so important that I want to go back to. You said that if there's something racist is said in your presence, that it's not your job as a black person or in your case, a black biracial person to have to go in and call someone out or engage in the conversation or defend yourself, or that's not your job, that it's the job of the white people in that circumstance. And I think that there's probably been times when many, if not all of our listeners have been in situations and you hear something said, you hear someone say something and you look to the people who would be most offended to see like, are they offended? And by offended, I mean, harmed, not just like Mm -hmm. a little bit annoyed, but (laughs) by it. And if you see that, like, they're not having a reaction, then you think, oh, it's fine then. And the Mm -hmm. reality is probably not, especially when it comes to race, probably Mm -hmm. not. It probably has been a micro or macro aggression that they've potentially dealt with over and over and over, over the course of their life. And they're choosing as someone who's been repeatedly harmed and traumatized to not make a big deal about something because it would just bring up repeated trauma, uh, trauma and harm. And that's where there is the place for a white person to not call it out publicly and create a whole scene, but to look on the back end, like where can I be an ally and an accomplice and an advocate or an activist in this situation and show up and make sure that this isn't happening within this group routinely where this person is being harmed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There have been, I can't even tell you how many times something was said or done and people look to me and it is a survival mechanism that I just have a really stone face and don't respond Mm -hmm. because there are sometimes when I'm like, 
first of all, if somebody says the N word, how could it possibly fall to me to handle this? <laughs> like, yeah. Y'all need to say something, come collect your people. I don't understand why this is on me, but it's just like, I don't want to be the person who always is so sensitive or the woman who always talks about race. Now it's funny because I didn't want to be that person. And now it's literally <laughs> my job. <laughs> so everybody knows it's no secret, but for a long time, I just wouldn't say anything because I was like, I don't want to be excluded from this circle. And so that means that I have to fall into line and let them do things that are super harmful. And that was when it was after I had my daughter Violet and somebody did say, she said the N word in a book club. Yeah. She wasn't like calling me the N word or anything. She was talking, she was referring to something, but it was still like, for real, like she said it and we were all like, what? And I was like, I didn't hear that. Like, you know, you just Mm -hmm. totally gaslight yourself and you're like, no, I didn't hear that. I'm crazy. And then she said it again and everybody looked at me and I remember going home and holding Vi because she was so small and I was still nursing her in the night and I was rocking in the rocking chair and thinking, I don't want this for her. I don't want her to be sitting in a room full of people. And if someone says the N word, they look at her to handle it. Like, People need to understand how can my friends not know what to say right now? And that was part of why I started First Name Basis, to give people the tools so that they felt confident and comfortable and ready when something like that happens. Yeah. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I want to bring up something that you said on the podcast that was really enlightening to me and that I think for me shifts the narrative a little bit around how we talk to our kids about race. So um, you said this in the, um, oh no, my child said something racist episode. And you talked about reframing things when we talk about racism and the example you gave was around um, Dr. Martin Luther King. When we talk about why he was treated poorly, our inclination and what we've heard said across media and books and throughout race education is he was treated poorly because he had black skin and that black people are treated poorly because they have black skin. And that's like a common narrative that many of us 
accepted as fact. And you had a reframe around that, that I thought was so important and so powerful. Um, and it's a really different way to have the conversation. Can you go ahead and talk us through that? Yes. I wish I could remember where I heard this so that I could give them credit. But if I find it, I'll let you know. But I just remember reading someone explaining that the reason why Martin Luther King was treated badly or the reason why Ruby Bridges was treated badly wasn't because she was black. It's because of racism. It's not our blackness that's the problem. It's white supremacy that's the problem. And I think reframing it as the true perpetrator of white supremacy and not our blackness helps our children see that it's not brown skin. That's the issue. It's the unfairness around how people with brown skin are treated. And I heard from a mom one time she said, okay, I talked to my children about race. And then after that, my child said, oh my gosh, I'm so happy and grateful that I'm not black. And she was like, oh my gosh, that backfired. That is not what I was trying to say at all. (laughs) That's not what I want her to take away from this conversation. And I helped her see, it's not that she doesn't want to be black. It's that she doesn't want to be treated with unfairness and no one Mm -hmm. should be treated with unfairness. You know, the way that the systems are set up in our world tells children and other white people how to treat others based on the color of their skin, but it's not the color of their skin. It's the white supremacy that is teaching them this. It's the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was like a huge aha. And I talked in the pre-interview, I said, this is how we're also starting to talk about what I've seen in multiple articles recently. When we talk about victims of sexual assault and we talk about the victim all the time, instead of talking about the perpetrator. And this came up a lot when we talked about Chanel Miller, who was raped by Brock Turner. And it was a lot of talk about the victim who for a long time was Jane Doe, the victim, Jane Doe, the victim, Jane, and then the victim, Chanel Miller, but it was never the rapist Brock Turner. Yes. It was ne- yes. And like, still, when you read about that, it's never the rapist Brock Turner. It's never mm-hmm. the white kid from Stanford rapist. It's always about the victim, Chanel Miller, who is a brilliant and incredibly strong role model. And I'm just constantly blown away by all the ways that Chanel Miller has impacted the world. But like, let's frame that story in a different way where like responsibilities being placed in the right place. Yes, exactly. And my mom is white and she's, I grew up in suburban Arizona and I grew up around a lot, a lot, a lot of conservative white people. And so a lot of my mom's friends are very conservative. And one time she was having a conversation with her friend and her friend said, well, I'm just tired of people telling me that I'm racist. And my mom was trying to help her understand why it's important to talk about race and that sometimes she does do things that are racist and she just didn't want to hear it. And finally, this her friend had just become a grandma. And of course, my mom has two grandchildren. And she said to her, would you want your grandchildren to be treated in the way that you know that my grandchildren will be treated? Mm. And that was what flipped the switch for her. She could really see it's not because they're black. It's because the system and the community that we've created treats black children in this way. And so that was like a huge aha moment where she was like, okay, I get it. I understand why we have to talk about this now. That's a great example. And that's why it's important to keep having the conversations like just so that we can hopefully get to that place where people do have the flip, the switch flipped for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Can we talk a little bit about, I know I've had conversations with people who 
feel overwhelmed that like, how do I ever get there? How do I get there to be like done? I have my degree now in (laughs) anti-racism. And I know that you talk about on your podcast on first name basis all the time, that like, this is not a destination. You're never going to get to the end. There's no final test or final chapter to your anti-racist journey. This is really an ongoing journey, but how do we make a commitment to the journey so we aren't overwhelmed and that we can keep going because it is an ongoing forever kind of a thing. Yeah. I love that. And it's so important to reframe it as the journey because then you can see too, how you get out of this either or thinking of like, I'm, you know, a good person or I'm a bad person. It's not that it's that we are all on this journey and sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we move forward. And it's more about being in a community of other people that, you know, are going to hold you accountable to your values. And that really is what we try to do at first name basis. I try to help people see that we have these specific values as a first name basis family. And if you're going to be in our family, these are the things that we're going to do for each other. And so I think it really starts with as a listener, figuring out who is an anti-racist educator that I can trust, that I know that I connect with and I can learn from, and then really following along the path. Because as people who are teaching others how to be anti-racist, we understand that this is a journey and we frame all of our work, all of our content around bringing you along the journey with us. So if you find someone and you really feel like, okay, this is a great learning opportunity for me and my family and you can invest in their anti-racist work, you will be just golden. Absolutely. And you are constantly putting out amazing work. In fact, when you put out your, I love, so you constantly, you're always integrating values. And I think when you integrate values, it makes the conversation I was going to say easier. It doesn't make the conversation easier. It makes it more clear and more simple when you integrate values, when you talk about like, well, what are your values? And if you know what your values are, then things become more clear. And you know, like based on this and based on my values, I know that this is a yes for me, or this is a no. And so, Mm -hmm. and there's, I think for many of us who've been doing anti-racist work, whether it's been for a little while or a long time now, we have a lot of clarity around values that really help us understand where we need to challenge ourselves to keep learning, how we can teach our kids in new ways, how we can continue to be really thoughtful and intentional allies. And so I want you to share, you're always creating new content and new ways for people to learn. I want you to share some of the ways, and I know you have a new upcoming, really awesome opportunity, the ways that people can invest in their education on an ongoing basis that will allow them to keep on this journey with a little bit of guidance and support. Yes, that is exactly what I'm here for. I want to help you live out your values of anti-racism. And so of course you heard Sarah say, I have a podcast. We have new episodes every Tuesday about how to talk to your kids about race and racism and how to build your own understanding of anti-racism. And I want to give you one resource that you can download for free today and one that is coming that I'm really excited about. So the one that you can get your hands on today to start your anti-racist journey with your kiddos, it's called Race Talk Roadmap. And what we've done is we've taken the first three steps of your anti-racist journey and put it into a graphic just for you. You can hold it in your hands or you can download it on your phone or your iPad and you can sit down with your kiddos and have that first conversation about race. And we've even split it up into, we have one for younger kiddos and one for older kiddos because depending on their developmental stage, you're going to want to talk to them about different things. So you can download the Race Talk Roadmap at firstnamebasis.org slash race talk. 
It's just like it sounds, no space, R-A-C-E-T-A-L-K. And it is just, it's such an amazing resource for those who are just starting out on this journey of talking to their kids, but also those who have had this conversation because I was recently learning and you, I know, you know, this Sarah, people need to hear or learn things seven times before Mm -hmm. they feel like they really have their arms around it. So if you had a conversation with your kids about race once, that is amazing. That's a good start, but I want you to keep going. And so I'm hoping that the race talk roadmap, especially with it being totally free, will give you the boost that you need to start digging in with them. And then from there, this is, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting to say this out loud because we have been thinking about it and working on it for so long. And I'm so excited. We have a course for families and it is called Ally Elementary. And we're so excited to share it with you because what I'm going to be doing is leading you through these discussions with your children. My my vision is that you're sitting on your couch together and you press play on these videos and I will be able to explain to your kiddos what is melanin, what is race, where does race come from, what is racism, right? All of these things, privilege and so many things that we know we need to talk to our kids about, but we're like, oh, I don't know where to start. I want to give you the resources you need to have that guided conversation where I can help explain it and then you can continue the discussion. We'll have discussion questions. We'll have have activities. It is going to be an amazing transformational opportunity for your family. And so if you're interested in that, I hope you are, because it's going to be so great. You can sign up for the waitlist at firstnamebasis.org slash waitlist. And I will be in touch with more information as it gets closer. And one thing I have to say about our website, it's firstnamebasis.org. So many people put in .com. I wish I had .com. The only reason it's .org is because it was taken when I was making my <laughs> my website. But firstnamebasis.org slash waitlist, and you can get on the waitlist there. Got it. I will link everything in the show notes. I'm so excited for Ally Elementary. I've been in on the secret for a little bit now, and <laughs> I can't wait. I also have seen both of the roadmaps, and so I want people to go download the roadmaps. They're just, first of all, they're like really cute, (laughs) but they're also very, I mean, cute matters, but also they're incredibly useful, incredibly valuable. So I want people to go get the race talk roadmaps and then also get on the wait list for Ally Elementary, because this is going to be, both are going to be fantastic tools, but Ally Elementary is really going to be something that will allow you to have someone else facilitate or support the conversations that you'll be facilitating with your kids, Mm -hmm. which Instead of having these awkward, like, hey, Vinny, so we're going to sit down and talk about race now. (laughs) (laughs) So this will be so perfect for parents like me that want to have these conversations, but just don't know quite how to broach them or if we're doing things the right way or not. Um, So I cannot wait. Okay. Last, I will link everything in the show notes, by the way. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Jasmine Bradshaw, everything will be linked up and you can just click straight through to all of the goodies. And then my final question for you, Jasmine, is how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Oh, I love this question. I think like I was mentioning at the beginning, the pandemic really like gave me an opportunity to sit and think about, okay, what kind of mom do I want to be? What do I want my family to look like? All of those things that you think about like when you're pregnant with your first, but then (laughs) maybe it gets lost in the shuffle because life is so busy. So I feel like, especially now I am prioritizing like I was just mentioning this to you, Sarah. I feel like I've really recently made this transition from a mom who works sometimes 
to Mm -hmm. a working mom. And so figuring out what that looks like for me and my family has been exciting and hard. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that's definitely where I'm trying to lean into being a shameless mom is what does it look like to be a working mom who works from home in the middle of all of these really important things going on in the world and supporting my kiddos on their journey too. I love that. I love it because not because I'm not cheering because I think everyone should be like, needs to be a working mom to be fulfilled. But I think when you own what you're actually doing, and this is something that I've been embracing as well, I have really prided myself on having a flexible work schedule and having my own business. And like, I've shared that when there's opportunities to help out at any school or in different ways in my community. And I'll say like, Oh, I'm flexible. I can do it whenever. And I realized that was to my own detriment because I wasn't Mm -hmm. owning my power as a full-time working mom. So now when things come up, I'm like, yes, I can do that, but I am a full-time working mom. So here's the boundaries that I need around this. Yes. Yeah. I think that's so important that you're, we could do a whole nother episode on that, (laughs) but it's such an important (laughs) reframe to really own that piece of your identity. If that's where you're at right now. So I love it. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Jasmine. I just want you to come here every week. <laughs> so I know I wish you can talk about. So this is so, so fabulous. I appreciate you coming back. I always appreciate everything that you share. I know that the work that you do does not come without tremendous cost to your energy and your own emotional and mental well-being as a race educator who's also a black woman and uh, biracial black woman. I think that it's really important to acknowledge that. So thank you for being here and being so incredibly generous. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, I love you. I admire you. And I'm so grateful to be part of your community. You've really created something so special here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. 
Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.